Hey guys, welcome back to Kind of Epic Show. I you think mean it, the Gabe Show. Well, I mean, it was your choice. I know. You're talking. I am. Yeah. And that will be all from David West today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you so much for coming on the show, David. You're welcome. Yeah, we're gonna do like an hour-long interview segment. It's gonna be a hostful. What? When? Oh, never. No. Wait, no. Most Maybe not our, never. Most most of our episodes are hostfuls. Yeah, they are. Most of them. We're the hostfuls with the mostfuls we're podcast. Just, we're just. Uh, Clearing out our catalog right yeah. now. So essentially what, what is about to happen is this is going to be the most interview-laden episode that we've ever had. Maybe. We thought about making it like just a boom-centric episode, but then we have too much content from C2E2 to actually do that. Well, let's do the boom ones first. We're going to do the boom ones first. And if I feel the need to split it into two episodes, I'll split it into two. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to do that. First, we're going to talk about, I mean, because again, we want to first um, get the bury the lead here, just be very thankful to the, the folks at Boom and Arkea who have been very supportive of Kind of Epic Show since our very beginning. Um, we've even had some interviews that we haven't had a chance to, to put out there, like with uh, Arkea's founder, Steve and Christy and some other other people uh, as well. Um, but at this show, we want to thank Mel Kalo for putting together these interviews for us, um, including um, the interview that you're going to have seen um, on Monday, which was um, our interview with Paul Jenkins. So uh, hurrah for that. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, and the first interview I'm going to introduce today is with the creator of the Avengers comic at Boom. Uh, you're scratching your head, David. You're like, hmm, Avengers at Boom and not at Marvel? What is this? And the reason you're scratching your head is because it is the, um, the Avengers from the 1960s. TV, uh, the television, the television Avengers. So yeah. it's um, specifically Steed and Peel um, is the title of the series. Key um, and Peel? Not Key and Peel. <laughs> to be fair, very different, very different duo, Key and Peel, <laughs> as to Steed and Peel. But yeah, this is our interview with Caleb Monroe. episodes until I reached a point where I could hear um, their voices in my head and then I stopped because there is a point where you can do too much research and and you get you, you far too fall down the rabbit hole um, you have to be willing you know you have to find that balance between having them in your head but not so ingrained in your head that you can't do new stuff you know so as soon as I could hear hear their voices in my head I stopped and worked on the book, yeah. So how much of um, Steel and Mrs. Poole is new characters, um, kind of new foils or villains, or how much of it is just kind of the, the villains of the period or villains that we remember from the show? There are two villains, two of Steed and Peele's most memorable villains return in our series, but other than that, it's all, uh, it's original. We treat it like lost episodes of the show and they hardly ever repeated characters on the show. So we sort of stuck with that. Um, we do repeat, they did repeat a little bit, and so we do repeat a little bit, but generally uh, it's new stuff. 
So how do you deal with, like, um, you mentioned that the characters are a little bit out there. I mean, because it is the 1960s, so we're dealing with, I love it, obviously, I'm a fan, but it can be, it can be sometimes on the campier side of things, because it, this is the 1960s Batman era we're talking about in terms of, of spy drama and, and the Get Smart era. How do you... Um, how do you how do you deal with? I know that a lot of a lot of people uh, like look back at the '90s film, for instance. They're like, well, they went a little bit too far in that direction. Other than other than Sean Connery, they're like, how do you balance it? How do you know like just to get that sweet spot where you're like, I've got these characters, but then you're also you're also showcasing like, okay, this is Mrs. Peel. She's she's a badass. There's there's a limit to the camp because she can kick so much ass at this point. The trick to the, I think the trick to camp and offbeat strange stories is you have to take them deadly serious. You have to write them like they're the great American novel, even though you know you're dealing with an absurd topic. Like, you sit down and you choose what your absurd topics are going to be. So I, we have mind control ballroom dancing. We have time traveling fruit flies. We have a suicide town. <laughs> we have all this. I would sit down and come up with the craziest ideas I could. But then when it comes time to sit down and actually script them, you treat it deadly serious. You're like, this is going to be the best time-traveling fruit fly story that anybody <laughs> has ever written. And I'm not going to... Uh, I think the problem comes when you try to write it knowingly, like winking at the audience, and then it just sort of feels cynical, and it doesn't feel genuine, you know? And uh, part of what makes camp camp is that it feels genuine. There's a certain earnestness to it. And that's... We don't do a lot of earnest storytelling anymore. Sort of postmodernism brought in all the cynicism, and so you know, we tend to take a cynical stance. But I think you just need to be as earnest and as genuine as possible, even when you're dealing with ridiculous stuff. And that's how you walk that fine line. So you already talked about working with uh, with Mark Wade to, to start off the show. Um, are there are there any other writers or anybody coming down the pipeline that we should be, uh, or, or any other creators, I should say that. Um, that we should be on the, the lookout for? Or? Absolutely. The 12-issue series, which I did, the final trade of that just came out this week. Mm -hmm. So our story is complete. Uh, we treat it like a se We called it a season, um, 12 issues long. Coming out this summer is a brand-new miniseries written by Ian Edgington, who is one of my personal favorite writers. I love that they... I'm like... I'm, I'm sad... Uh, to be leaving the book, but if anybody was going to come on, I'm so excited that it's him. And I just, as a fan, I really look forward to reading his take on the characters. He's a uh, native Brit, which will be interesting because as an American, for me writing these quintessentially British characters, that was also a fine line to walk, and I will be interested to see what he does with it. Plus, I, he's one of the few writers I'll buy something just because his name is on it. So coming out this summer, brand new, it's... Uh, Steed and Mrs. Peel, Volume 3. It's going to be six issues, and it's written by Ian Edgington, and you definitely are going to want to find that if you're a fan of the series. So, I mean, not to take up too much more of your time here, but because you're dealing with that that 1960s content, and you, and you mentioned, like, quintessentially Brit, I mean, with the Avengers, with Steed and Peel. So what... Um, but they do have that North American connection because it's... it's um, it's Sidney Newman coming over from from CTV and talking about like you if you've I don't know if you've seen Adventures in Time and say saying pop 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 <laughs> I think it's quote saying that he needed to amp up the energy and kind of bring the fun that was in North American television to kind of dour British sensibilities at the same time. So I think it's fun if if you've gotten the chance to, to inject that. I mean, how much how much research would, did you have to do in terms of, of revisiting? I know you said you didn't want to live in the characters' minds, but how much how much research did you do in terms of revisiting like the the, the episodes or maybe even some of like the old script notes or things like that? 
not too much. Yeah. I there's a there's a danger to getting too into what has gone before, mm -hmm. and that is you get locked into it and it's hard to do new stuff. So I. Like I said, I, I researched to the point where I felt I had a handle of who they were, mm -hmm. and I could sort of hear them talking in my mind, so I could be writing them, and and they, uh, it's kind of a strange way to talk about it, but Emma or John would be in my brain saying, that's not quite how I would do it, I would do it this way. Once I reach that point, then I sort of stop and walk away, because otherwise you can get too stayed, too locked in to what's gone before. Um, so yeah, that's... We're definitely looking forward to it. Um, is it going to be collected? Um, since you're talking about the 12 issue run, is that going to maybe get a, a hard uh, or get a get a collection anytime soon? That I'm afraid is out of my purview. <laughs> I'm I'm completely on the creative end, and that is uh, that is definitely a publishing decision. It is right now collected in three beautiful soft covers with. Uh. Uh, with three beautiful Emma Peel covers painted by Joseph Michael Linsner. This is when I need it to not be a, <laughs> an audio medium. <laughs> yes, um, uh, but uh, a quick Google search will turn up all of these beautiful covers. Google so at the moment, Seed and Mrs. Peel. Yeah, you will, at the moment, our entire pleased. season is in, is collected into three volumes: A Very Civil Armageddon, The Secret History of Space, and The Return of the Monster. And then, I mean, just real quick, that isn't the only title, as you said, that you write for, for Boom. Um, what should we be looking out for you in the in the near future here? And um, if you wanted, just wanted to, to see if you could, could plug there um, the, the Peanuts as well. Yeah, I do Peanuts as well. Ice Age. Um, those are a completely different than Steve yeah. Mrs. Peel, an all-ages sort of thing. But, uh, but also humor-based and also slightly absurd. So there is uh, a lot more common ground than one would think. I'm also doing a science fiction and an espionage book, both of which will be announced later this year, but I can't quite talk about them, but just know that they're coming down the pipe. So, so they trust the guy who writes the spy material to not let out the secrets yes. anytime exactly. soon. Exactly. So I'm doing a, this is a spy-fi book, so it's sort of where science fiction meets um, espionage, but later this year I'll be doing one book in each, sort of more pure, so a straight-up sort of espionage book and a straight-up sort of science fiction book. Thank you so much for your time. This is the last thing that we do is we always get a segment where uh, we do a throw to at the beginning so that people know who we're talking to and uh, we can kind of put that out there. Um, if you wouldn't mind just saying your name, so just saying I'm Caleb Monroe and I'm the publisher of Steed and, or I'm the, the creator of Steed and Mrs. Peel and you're listening to Kind of Epic Show. This is Caleb Monroe, writer of Steed and Peel, Peanuts and Ice Age and you are listening to Kind of Epic Show. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Caleb. Um, we have our next uh, segment again, another person from Boom. Um, this is probably the most identifiable comics properties that they have out there now and one of the big benefits of them being an all ages um, publishing company. So they have the, we have the, uh, again, the creator of Skips, uh, the regular show uh, comic book. It kind of tells the story of, uh, of the fashionable Yeti there. And then uh, we have, that's a fun sentence to say, fashionable Yeti. I'm glad I got that in. And then she's also currently working on the Banana Guard, uh, the Adventure Time comic book. So really excited to have her on. Um, she's also a webcomic artist. Um, she has a comic called Sikana, which follows two brothers who work at the Tsukiji uh, Fish Market. And I accidentally gave her the horrifying news that Tsukiji Fish Market is closing down next year and moving to an industrial wayside. So there was that. But that's not part of our interview, <laughs> which will be happening now. Go ahead and hit the space bar, Dave.
we'll start it off as, I think, just because that was funny. Do you mind if we start it off, like, uh, like as a news report? So you've just heard the devastating news that Tsukiji Market is going to be closed. No, actually, it's not going to be better anyway. Uh, you know, just... <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, we'll start off by talking about, about the, the news, so we'll talk about the banana cars. Okay, we'll talk about bananas. Mm-hmm. I'll take my mind off. <laughs> Gosh, I'm sorry. I felt really bad about it, too, because I actually had planned a trip. I've never been, but um, we, I put together a meetup group of about 14 people who were very deeply interested in going. And one of the reasons we wanted to go this year is specifically, or this year or the next, was to see Tsukiji um, before it closed. Um, some of my friends were not aware of its existence until I talked to them about it. I also wanted to do the ferry rides that are through there, because it seems like a beautiful perspective for the city. I was only there for one day, but yeah. boy, was that an important day in my life. <laughs> are we ready? Hi, we're here at C2E2, and we are talking to Mad Rupert, the uh, gosh, the the writer and uh, illustrator of uh, the the skips and the regular show comic, and now the writer on the or the drawer, the artist <laughs> on on the Banana Guard. So this is like the Guardians of the Galaxy to uh, to the to the regular shows, maybe the, the Avengers. It's been. <laughs> Adventure Time Cannon. So can you talk a little bit about about the the setup? For, for people who are unfamiliar with uh, the context of, of these guys. Of the Banana Guard? Okay, so the the context of the Banana Guard Academy is that um, the Banana Guard of uh, Princess Princess Bubblegum's castle is really incompetent, and but traditionally it's only been the Banana Guys can be in the Banana Guard, but um, there was an episode of the show recently that introduced a character called uh, Root Beer Guy, who was actually created by the writer of this miniseries, Ken Osborne, and so um, Root Beer Guy became the uh, the chief 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 of the Banana Guards and uh, like head of security kind of for the castle. And so now he's opening the the Banana Guard up to anybody who wants to join. So we're gonna get you know people like, like Peppermint Butler and Tree Trunks and all of your favorite peripheral characters are all gonna be uh, in the Banana Guard Academy with little Banana Guard outfits and everything. It'll be great. So in in the show when they introduce him, they introduce it with a really gritty crime novel thing. Yes. Is is he is Root Beer Guy still? What happened to Root Beer Guy's novel? If you don't mind asking. Well, I think the the ultimate end of Root Beer Guy's episode, it's uh, implied that he no longer needs to be writing his mystery novel and like living within these stories vicariously because now something really exciting has happened to him, so he can kind of make his own exciting life. He doesn't really need it anymore. And uh, a lot of this is also, you know, the words of Ken Osborne, who has also done some interviews about this. So if it sounds like I'm rehashing what he's saying, then forgive me, Ken. <laughs> um, so can you talk about um, about the, the particular art style? I mean, how much uh, wiggle room do you have that to where it isn't informed 100% by the show? Like, how much do you do you work to, to put in your, your own kind of ideas or, or content into the into the, the new or into this world? Um, well. It seems like a, a relatively wide amount of wiggle room for the art style for the for the book, um, but thankfully I'm pretty close to the actual style already. Um, for uh, uh, my regular show comic that I wrote and drew, I had to try out for it and like you know do a few test pages to make sure that they liked my stuff and everything and thought that I was going to work with the book. But um, for this one. They were really happy with how Skips looked. So for this one, you know, I asked them, I was like, you know, you need me to 
provide some test pages again just to make sure. And they were like, no, you know, just, just we would trust you. Just, just figure it out. So... I now, mean, this test that you're describing, was it Scantron or, or was it an essay-based? I, I had to fill in some little, some little bubbles. But no, uh, the test was um, they would give me a few pages of script from uh, a different regular show, because I'm talking about the regular show test now. They gave me a few pages of script from a different regular show comic, and then I would draw them like I would draw it, not necessarily uh, how the person who was picked for that particular project was going to draw it. So um, they liked the, my interpretation, so that's how I got the, the first job that eventually led to this job. Um, now I know that the writing room, or the kind of the writing structure for the regular show is interesting, and in that for, for an animated, any animated program, you can have a as long as a 20-month production cycle for a single episode, but that they're very kind of structured there at the at the studios or, or, or working there. Did you ever get a chance to, to interact with any of them in that in that context, or did you get to talk to any uh, like JG Kinzel or any of the, the people who were behind the creation of the show? Um, I've never really had like you know face-to-face contact with any of the actual writers for the show or anything like that, but I have gotten a few notes, you know, from the go-betweens that we have that kind of quality check between the actual show and the comics. So like, everything we do in the comics is is quality checked by these uh, showrunners that we call them. And Ken Osborne, I think, was actually one of the sh- our showrunner for Adventure Time. And um, so for regular show, everything does have to go in front of the people that do write the show. So I have gotten some notes from J.G. Quintel, like, you know, put in more of my mom jokes stuff like that for regular show and um but normally they just kind of you know as long as we're not doing anything super you know out of question they uh they kind of let us do what we want that's the kind of memo you could put on ebay like fans would love that like i'm sorry i'm writing to you madeline because we need to we're inquiring about the status of the your mom jokes that are in the in the current state of the book it's deplorable yes many many more we Far, far too, far too few. More of my mom jokes. I'm imagining like the watermark would it be like high five ghosts at the top. Yeah, yeah, five, high five, five ghosts out of five mom jokes. So you actually sought out that project. Like, how big of a fan were you of, of the particular style or of the, the show itself? And the same for, for Adventure Time, even though you didn't have to seek out that particular project. Uh, well, actually... Uh, you did? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. The, um, the regular show comic, uh, they actually approached me first. Well, I mean, they approached me to do some other things for them first. And um, so I did, like, I lettered a bunch of stuff. And I did a bunch of covers and everything. And then um, uh, we had an event at the uh, college that I graduated from where there were editors that came in, and one of them was uh, Shannon Waters from Boom, who's the uh, head editor of the Kaboom Kids imprint. And um, so my editor quick emailed me and was like, hey, Shannon's going to be there in like two days. Can you come up with this... can you like do these test pages like really really quick and show them to her and so I just whipped them out and I like brought them in and showed her like oh yeah okay cool yeah we'll hire you for this I um, just wanted to ask you in the context of, of Boom um, and Studios, very, and Kaboom, the imprint that you particularly write these for, how important do you think it is to have um, both children's uh, comics and all-age comics in general in terms of growing the reader base? Um, I think that's very important because, I mean, you know, when you're online, most of the fans that are 
most vocal are going to be either people my age or like in their late teens and stuff like that. But whenever I come to conventions like this, it's just incredible just how many kids are coming up to the booth and being like, oh, I didn't even know there were comics and everything. And, you know, we can show them to their parents and the parents are like, oh, they love the show. They'll probably love this too. And it's all, I think it's really important to kind of like, you know, just be bringing people of all ages into this, into the comics, uh, you know, readership base and everything, and, you know, not just stick to, you know, the guys who have been reading it forever. It's important to be bringing in, you know, new meat all the time. To not that you'll object if you, if everyone reads your comics. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's what I said, all ages, I really mean, I think it can be enjoyed by people of all ages, you know, I can, my mom doesn't read comics at all, but I could safely give this to my mom, and she'd be like, hey, you know, this is exciting, and I could give it to uh, my little niece, and be, she could be like, oh, yeah, this is great, but, I mean, she's three, so I don't know how much will stick with her, but she can still appreciate it, probably, the pretty pictures, at least. Do you know who, who would enjoy these comics greatly? My mom. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about your uh, original content, your um, your webcomic, okay. and uh, the inspiration for that. Okay, so uh, I have a, a webcomic that's been updating for about four years. Um, it's called uh, Sakana, and it's about two brothers that work in the Tsukiji fish market in Tokyo, Japan. And it's about up to 250-ish comic strips. It's in strip format. And I really think that that was one of the reasons that I got these jobs at Boom was because I had such a big catalog of work already online and a reader base and everything that I love. I'm sorry I haven't been able to update the comic recently because of all this Boom work. But, um, uh, and that was really instrumental in them being able to just look up my comic and being like, well, we like her artwork, but also we like her writing and stuff because I write and draw uh, Sakana. And... Um, so I didn't originally think I was going to be writing the uh, regular show miniseries that I wound up doing everything for, but they liked my writing in Sakana so much that they were like, okay, well, why don't you pitch us some ideas, too, and we'll see if we can't get you, you know, the whole package. So that was, that was really exciting, and I really, someday, I really want to get back to updating regularly. But uh, all this boom work has just been very, very constant, which is good because I can pay the rent. But. Would you say that your regular updates are interrupted by your regular show? I would say my regular updates are, in fact, interrupted by regular show. <laughs> I didn't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, just let people know where they can find you online. Um, obviously, they can find the majority of your work um, right now in, in bookstores everywhere, um, which is one of the great things about yeah. boom. Um, but, yeah, tell them where they can find you online, anything that you're promoting with Boom, uh, other events that will be upcoming, because we'll get this up um, preferably within the next um, couple of weeks. And, um, yeah, I just really want to throw it to you to, to, to decide where, uh, where pe what people need to know. Okay. Well, you can find me <clears throat> online, mostly on my Tumblr, which is uh, my name is Mad, all one word, .tumblr.com. Mad is actually short for Madeline, just, just a fun fact. But uh, you can find uh, links to my webcomic, Sakana, there, and lots of updates about uh, the regular show and Adventure Time comics that I'm working on. And uh, no word on San Diego Comic-Con for me yet, but they said that they have not gotten their complete list together yet, so I may be there. I'm hoping that I will be there. Otherwise, uh, I'll be at some miscellaneous anime conventions between now and then, but hopefully I'm, I'm shooting for that one for the next big one. 
I don't feel too bad. I actually know for a fact that Marvel hasn't nailed down all the artists that are at their stuff yet. There you go, yeah. So, so I'm hoping that they like me enough to... And, you know, I have a new series now so with Banana Guards. So I think they, they should take me. <laughs> In case you're watching this, all of my bosses. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. The last thing we do is kind of a throw to. We usually do this for, for just the audio interviews, but we also want to get it in, in this as well. Um, and it's, um, I'm going to do this in two parts. The first thing is, because we're kind of epic show, um, I want to ask, like, something, tell us something epic from your life. Epic from my life. Say something epic from your life. Um, the epic thing about my life is that I am very passionate about collecting rare miniature cacti and succulents, and I have about 70 of them in my home right now of various species. That's my big epic thing. That is very, that is kind of epic. That <laughs> yeah. qualifies. And then the second thing is a throw-to where we begin our interviews, um, especially for the podcast, but also on YouTube. And, and essentially, it's just you, and I'm going to hand over the microphone for this uh, this uh, portion, so you look directly into the camera. This camera? Yeah. He'll, he'll be able to get he'll be able to get a view of you. Uh, but, but the idea is just just to say, um, and you can be as cheeky as possible. But you're like, uh, I just introduce yourself. Um, you can say whatever titles you'd like to plug, and then just then, and you're watching. Or I'm sorry, and this is kind of epic show. Kind of epic show. You got it. Okay, so I say my name, what I'm working on, and this is you're watching kind of epic show. In this case, this is. This is kind of epic show, and I should be I should be cheeky. <laughs> okay. 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 It's great. Oh my god. Okay. Okay. Hi there. My name is Mad Rupert. I am the writer and artist of regular show skips. I'm currently the artist on Adventure Time Banana Guard Academy, and this is kind of epic show. Sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. So that was all of our, our lovely creators from Boom. We hope to we did have some more content, but I don't know if we talked about this or not. We actually had our audio recorder stolen at the uh, the show, which was not a very fun experience. Um, most of the people were able to reschedule. That's part of how we had our nearly hour long conversation with with Paul, and I turned down about thirty minutes there. Um, we also had our um, our conversation with uh, with. James uh, Tinian IV, who had just came out with a book called The Woods. Uh, we're hoping to reschedule that, but as of uh, this airing, we, we haven't had the opportunity to do that yet. Um, but yeah, we just wanted to again say thank you to everybody at Boom. Um, they were And everybody at C2E2, they were great uh, in terms of the staff of both of those, and we look forward to seeing them again at further conventions. Um, now, outside of them, we had some really great um, people that we talked to as well. Um, here's a very brief interview with Jim Chung, the artist from The Young Adventures and Marvel's Original Sin. Young Adventures? D- young Adventures? That's what you said. Did young I say Avengers. That? Well, they're young people who have Adventures, but I meant to say Young, young Avengers. Adventure, young Avengers. Young Adventures. I think that... Oh, gosh. <laughs> Alright, I'm going to hit the space bar. It's been good. I always enjoy coming to C2E2, and uh, this one's, you know, it's been great so far as well. I just wanted to start off first. Um, one of the things that, that is really appreciated about... Um, you work on the the Young Avengers is the the relationship uh, between Hulkling and and Wiccan, and that's very understated um, through a lot of parts. So much so that um, that I mean, it's just a very well appreciated um, uh, relationship within the comic. And I just wanted to see how how much that weighted you on, on as an artist. And this this might seem a silly question, um, but 
do you have to do anything different uh, in terms of, of drawing uh, just like a public display of affection or something but with, uh, with, a, with a gay character as opposed to a straight character? That might sound like a silly question, but it's something like, it's, it's interesting we want to see more of in comics and just want people to know like, that it isn't necessarily any different, I mean, or is it? I don't know. No, not at all. I mean, for me, I just approach it very much the same way. It's, um, it's just a relationship like any other, I think. And, you know, um, and the fact that the characters are so well received, I think it's mostly down to the writing. So it's, you know, it's just me. I'm just following directions. Yeah. Do you have um, any input in terms of, like, uh, an, art, an arc of a story? Or is, does the art ever inform kind of just some of the, the characteristics of the, of the characters, do you think? Uh, on occasion, I have some input, but for the most part, I mean, it's pretty much, I just follow the writer's directions. Um, you know, they know what they're doing, and I'm not paid to, to rewrite things, so, you know. And most of the time, what they give me is, is fun anyway, so I just, you know, I just go with it. Do you wanted to see, um, if you wouldn't mind just talking a bit about um, your current work and um, what people should be uh, on the lookout for? Um, right now, my the new book I have out is uh, Original Sin Zero. Um, just came out this past week. Uh, I haven't actually seen a copy read a copy of it myself um, so I have no idea how it turned out but hopefully uh, everyone will enjoy it. <laughs> are, you, are you excited about the, um, the original Sim products? Are also um, the people working recently on, on Infinity? Yes. Um, Infinity was a great project to work on as well and uh, Jonathan Nickman's a great writer um, and hopefully one day I'll get to, to work with him again soon. Yeah. <laughs> Right, so you haven't haven't had a chance to, to read hot off the presses, so that's that's something yes. forward to, to look forward to. Um, is there anything else coming down the pipeline? Um, nothing too much I can speak of at the moment. Right now, Marvel just has me doing a bunch of covers uh, for the for secret project that's coming up. Um, but beyond that, you know, it's um, they don't have me lined up for any major interiors just yet. That's the benefit of being at C2E2, is that if they've done their panel properly, maybe we can talk about it on Sunday. I should have waited, darn. Will, will we know after Sunday? That's, that's a loaded question. Uh, probably not, I think, because right now I think they're focusing on Original Sin. So beyond that, I, I don't know what, when they're going to start teasing the next thing. So. You heard it here first. There's going to be something at some date and some time. Only on Kind of Epic Show. Well, gosh, um, I just wanted to say again, thank you so much um, for your time. And if you wouldn't mind just telling people where they can find you online and uh, where they can, well, obviously, they can pick up Original Sin in the, in the, the everywhere. <laughs> but where can they find, uh, find Jim Chung online? Okay, I'm on Tumblr and I am on Facebook. Um, I'm on uh, Jim Chung Art on Tumblr. And then um, just look me up on Facebook. I'm the little silly cartoon character. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, the, the last thing we do for our interviews is we always do uh, a quick throw to. So um, just you saying your name. So just saying I'm Jim Chung Chung here at C2E2, and you're listening to Kind of Epic Show. And then feel free to throw in any title or any anything that you'd want to want to talk about. Hi, this is Jim Chung, and I'm at C2E2, and uh, you're listening to this is Kind of Epic Show. You've got it. All right. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that. I enjoyed doing it, but I know it was really brief and kind of awkward, which is kind of, would have been our title, but again, it, it wouldn't fit in iTunes. Brief and kind of awkward? Brief and kind of awkward wouldn't fit in our iTunes category. Yeah. So yeah, we're the kind of epic show. And that was kind of epic. Yeah. 
It was a fairly accurate description of it. He's epic. I don't know if I was. <laughs> but he has a lovely British accent, so you gotta enjoy, you got to enjoy that. Epic is our next interview. Epic is our next interview, because this is yeah. our... Well, I mean, there's audio interference, but we have our second Power Ranger uh, to grace the show. He's the second in a lot of things when it comes to Power Rangers. Oh, you mean, mean person who is saying something that may be accurate. But no, I mean, it is great because we had the, the news about the Universal movie. I mean, they probably will approach him. Like he said, he was approached to be a part of Megaforce, but wasn't able to, to actually make it a, a part I mean, of the... the Lionsgate movie that just got announced? Yeah. I, it's a reboot. It's a relaunch. I feel like they'll probably have some kind of introduction to the old people. Well, if that's they'll, the case... They'll pull a Star Trek. They'll, like, have a loophole. If that's the case, you have to have Jason David Frank and not Steve Cardenas. Well, hey, why are you being mean? I'm not being mean. You, you have a lot of people. Yeah, maybe multiple people. Like, uh, the other guy who's really popular. Honestly, like, probably the three most... Four or five most popular of the originals, you know? Hey, all five are probably pretty popular in their own way. All five of the originals? Well, they're not all around anymore. I no. Mean, I mean, so you got, I mean, most of the ones, I mean, anybody who is still around, like Billy or, um, or Steve, Steve is with the second season, but I mean, in a, in a large way, so was JDF. Yeah, he's the Green Ranger in season one. Yeah, but I mean, he wasn't a regular cast member until the second season, so. Enough. Yeah, I mean, that, that kind of, that core cast from the second season is still really popular, I think. This is an odd way to introduce our interview, but it's been one of those days. <laughs> yeah, no offense to the guy, but you went out like a bitch. Oh. He did. I don't know if he... Well, he, he talks about that in the interview. He did. He, he was really bitter. He was not happy about the way he left the show. He, he got his leg broke and they're... Replaced by a toddler, essentially. Yeah, replaced by a stupid kid who ruined the franchise for me when I was growing up. And still made it super hard to get through Turbo. I think they made it think that it was like a jumping on point. Like, if you can believe it, in the Super Sentai, you know, the White Ranger yeah. was like that. The White Ranger was actually a little kid. Huh. Perverted little kid, actually. He In the first scene where you introduce him, he gropes the Yellow Ranger's breasts. Oh, wow. Yeah, the, the, the Power Rangers in Japan are a little bit more... Um, adult? Adult, yeah. Huh. Interesting. Mm. Anyways. I don't know if you would have liked the kid in Turbo more or less if he was that creepy. I don't know. <laughs> it was a combination of him and Ghetto Alpha. Oh, God. Alpha, like, six or whatever? Yeah. Where they he, update like, him. Where he had this high-pitched girly voice and he was ghetto. He was, like, yeah, he was super ghettified. Alpha is annoying. Uh, it made me want to punch him. But I don't know. A pretty, pretty chock full episode. So this is pretty cool. We've got some great comic book artists, and now we have a Power Ranger. Hit the space bar. Yay, when technology works. Yay for uh, technology. Yeah, well, we are here at C2E2 at oh, Steve Cardenas' booth. Did I get your name right? I'm yeah, Steve Cardenas. Yeah, it's yes. good. <laughs> well, that is the first exciting part of the interview. Okay. Very easy to check off the list there. Getting the name right always works. <laughs> Um, but uh, people will know you from uh, your time as a Power Ranger, mm -hmm. which uh, we've done some interviews with a couple of Power Rangers, so we know that's something that really unfortunately or fortunately doesn't seem to end when you get off the show. <laughs> right. We were just seeing this lovely lady is talking about her, one of her kids uh, is looking up to you as well. So if you wouldn't mind just like what, how, how do you feel about the fan reaction after, after you run on the show? Uh, I love it, you know, I mean, because when I, fin when I left the show, you know, I left Power Rangers completely and for about 10 years didn't have any kind of connection with the fans in any way. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I didn't really have any way to know like that, you know, people were still into the show and everything like that. And then I, I think I ran into Paul Schreier um, 
and he told me that there was going to be, if this was back in 2007, or even maybe 2006 when it happened, he said, hey, there's going to be a Power Ranger convention, um, you know, you should be a part of it. Yeah, it's called, and they're going to call it Power Morphicon, and I was yeah. like, okay, sure, that sounds pretty cool, I guess i go see what's going on with it. And when I got to this show, there was like, you know, hundreds and hundreds or thousands of people at the show, and they were all there to see us. And when we walked out, when we were walking from the elevator to the convention center where, where, the, where the show was happening, the people were standing in line, and they just started cheering for us, you know? Just as soon as they saw our face, they just started screaming and cheering. And that's when I realized, I was like, wow, this, you know, people out there, they're like, you know, they still like the show, they're still, you know, it's still so much a part of their lives. And, you know, then just to get to hear their stories about how, you know, we influenced them some way or another, that was all... Um, just so like rewarding for me you know it's kind of like really kind of like validated you know everything that I did on the show because I I left the show kind of bitter you know and I didn't really want to be a part of it anymore and, you know and uh, I just thought when it was over you know that's it I'm never you know never going to really be known or heard from again you know and uh, so it's been really good to kind of come to these do these shows and these conventions all the time just meet and embrace the fans and you know uh, just kind of be a part of their their life too you know in the way that I, I was part of theirs, you know. How do you feel about the uh, the 20th anniversary? That's that's just past. There 20 years for for you now, having been on the show. Yeah, I started in 1994. Actually, uh, July of 1994 is when I started. So July of this year will mark the 20 years of when we of when we got hired. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, what, but what were you saying about that though? How do I? Oh, just um, yeah. I mean, uh, some of the some of the people who were on the, the cast have been able to come back. Is that something you would like to, to see or revisit? Um, yeah, well, I've, I've, I've been offered, to, you know, to come back. And I was going to do Super Mega Force, but I couldn't do it because the con schedule conflicting, you know, the and I couldn't get to New Zealand at the time. So, um, than yeah, you guys it's a little, far, a little farther than Valencia, a little further than Valencia, California, where we used to film the show. Um, so, Wait, so, you guys didn't film an Angel Grove? <laughs> no, we didn't film an Angel Grove. Oh, it hurts my heart. I know, right? Fictitious, <laughs> fictitious city. Um, but yeah, I, uh, but if they ask me back for anything, I'll definitely do it, you know? So I'm just, you know, waiting for that. Hopefully with the, you know, Dino Charge or whatever, the new one that's coming out, maybe they'll, uh, you know, find a spot for me for a cameo or something, you know? I'd have fun with it. Heck, they were able to chase and they are just like, come back. <laughs> yeah, we've only done this to you three times. You're never getting away. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Gosh. Um, um, just wanted to ask. This is something we've asked a couple of the, the people who've been on the show. Did you ever get any um, interaction with kind of the Japanese contemporaries of your the source material for the show? Like, how familiar were you? Did you have to, to watch any of the Super Sentai material? Or no, I wasn't really too familiar with the Japanese show. Um, didn't see too much of it either. Um, I saw, I remember see, saw like a couple of scenes, you know, and, uh, from from the Japanese show, but, you know, I, I based everything off of what I watched from the show, because I watched the show before I got on it, because I came on in season two, so um, I based everything that I did off of watching the show, the American version, you know, that's pretty much all that I was familiar with. When, I mean, when did it sink in that you're like, oh, I'm on literally the most popular children's show worldwide at the moment well you know it, it didn't sink in right away you know i mean i i was excited i knew that i was you know being going to be part of something big but i just didn't realize like how big it was going to be you know how big it, it was you know 
And uh, it wasn't until I was on the show, working on the show for a couple of months, you know, that it really sunk in that I'm like, you know, my shows are going to air very soon and they're <laughs> going to be all over the world. And I'm just like, you know, I was, I was excited about that. You know, it was very cool. Have you ever traveled overseas and, and mm-hmm. recognized, I mean, because of this indication that there was in many ways more popular overseas? Uh, yeah, I, I've been overseas, but I've always been overseas to do cons. So, yeah, I'm going to be recognized because they know I'm coming, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, I haven't. You're at the airport and you're like, I'm not even there yet. Yeah. No, it's funny, though, because I just did a show in Brazil. And um, and when, I, when I, I got off the plane in Brazil, I was going through customs. And uh, the, the, the guy who's looking at my passport, he's looking at my passport. He's, you know, stamping it and everything like that. And I get through customs. I threw all my bags through customs. They inspect my bags, all that stuff. And as I'm walking out of the airport, the same customs guy who stamped my passport in the, in the beginning ran out. And he came up to me and he was like, hey, are you? And I was thought he was going to say, are you, you know, from Power Rangers? Yeah. And he goes, are you a jiu-jitsu guy? Because I had a jiu-jitsu shirt on, you know? I had one of my jiu-jitsu shirts Brazilian on. Famous yeah, I know, exactly. And he and I was like, yes, I am. He's like, can I have a picture with you? So he took a picture of me because I was a jiu-jitsu guy. I'm yeah. like, you want to take a picture of me in Brazil, which is like the home of, like, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Anyway, so I thought it was funny that they he wanted to take a picture of an American guy that did jiu-jitsu. So you can imagine like the impulse is like no, no I've never done jujitsu. But it's in my it, life. it's so funny though because he you know he gave me no indication at all because I had I had my jujitsu hat on my jujitsu shirt everything like that he was just doing his you know the whole thing and then for whatever reason he came out from yeah. behind the, the the booth and all the way out to the you know the taxi part of the airport and you know I just thought it was funny. I'm evil. I've probably been like yes I'm actually a crazy. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not just a jiu-jitsu guy. I'm yeah. Like, right. And then they'll be like, and you don't speak Portuguese? <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? That's all I know, too. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I wanted to just throw it to you to see what it is that you're promoting and anything that I should be looking out for outside of yeah, well, I mean, you know, um, they can follow me a lot of different ways, actually. Um, you know, I, I travel around and do these shows all the time. I really try to give back to the fans. I always have contests and giveaways that I'm doing. So if people follow my fan page, um, it's uh, on Facebook. Just type Steve Cardenas fan page on the search engine part of Facebook, and uh, you can find me there. Um, also, I have Twitter as well and Instagram. Uh, it's Steve Cardenas PR is, is Twitter, and uh, Steve Red Ranger is uh, on Instagram. I really hope you guys enjoyed our interviews from C2E2. Um, again, you can find us at Kind of Epic Show on Twitter. Um, we will be out and about doing more convention coverage at Indie PopCon at the end of May. Um, that's the last weekend of May, May 31st through June the 1st. Um, you can also find us online on Facebook at Kind of Epic Films. And you can also uh, follow us individually at David West, K-O-E, underscore K-O-E-S, uh, Gabriel Canada, the spelling of my name. And uh, you can find our other host, but uh, Andrew is Andrew's taking... Andrew's back on Twitter. Andrew's back? He's back on Twitter. What I saw him today. Jumpin' Jack Flask. Jumpin' Jack Flask. It's a gas, gas, gas. Yep. But we hope that you all had a gas and enjoyed the show. Uh, that's all. That's all, folks. Hey listeners, this is Micus, creator of the kind of epic theme song, Zombie Kids. If you're interested in finding out more about my music, you can check me out at micusmusic.com. Also, I am on iTunes, Facebook, and SoundCloud. 
You can look me up as Micus Music, and that's M-I-K-U-S, and you know the rest. All right, peace out, everyone. Keep listening.